0: Welcome to the Crash the Pond podcast. It is a Monday, July 18th edition of the show. Welcome back, everyone. We're back on our regularly scheduled programming after a couple weeks of recording on Wednesdays, Thursdays, what have you. Jake, it feels good to be back to the routine.
1: I like it. Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, my internet still isn't back, but I'm Robo ta- R- Robo Jake is still uh, still a thing. However, I do want to
0: note that l- on the last podcast, I did say that Jake's internet issues were not a problem for the recorded version of the show. And listening back, it was a problem. So this time, we've come up with a, a workaround to that. So the people that are listening on Spotify, Apple, what have you, it should be fine this time. So yep. Thank thank you for bearing with us as Jake
1: uh, transitions to Cox Cox internet. Wow, you uh, should definitely uh, make sure to add that internet there. Are, did I just nix our chances
0: at a at a possible sponsorship? With oh Fox? no,
1: sorry. I was saying you definitely needed to add that internet at the end there.
0: Yeah, I mean it's not your fault. <laughs> like that, I'm I'm not blaming this on you at all. So that's not even what I was saying. But we shall move on. I'm not sure what you're saying, but that's okay because okay. we've got a lot to talk about today. Um, I think the number one thing that we have to talk about, that we have to dissect, really ad nauseum here, is uh, Isaac Lundström filing for arbitration. That's that's the biggest thing, right? Oh, that's that's why we're that doing this podcast. One hundred
1: percent the biggest thing. Wait, wait, wait. Actually, no. The biggest thing is Trevor Zegers and Jamie Dreisel are going to have new numbers. Is that confirmed, or is that just you pushing that still? I mean, actually, were, no. Actually, there were no. two Sorry. players that had their number okay. during <laughs> development camp. I guess that that. That's a good sign, yeah. you could say. Well, and you also have the fact that Frank Vitrano, I think what number seventy-seven. Mm-hmm. So that's good. Yes. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a it's a new day in
0: Anaheim with the jersey numbers because yes. yeah, there was Nathan Gauthier wearing forty-six in camp and Pavel Mentukov wearing thirty-four in development camp. So. Hopefully that means that there's going to be a jersey a jersey number change. I think that you're right. In the past, when we've seen players in development camp take on numbers, it's usually because they're getting that number now. So, and I don't mind that because development camp is kind of when guys just get thrown random numbers. There, there's no real point to letting guys choose their numbers in in development camp. It's it's just for a week of of drills. So, yeah your bet your bet on the jamie drysdale number we'll start with that. six one.
1: easy it's gonna be six six yeah okay and then for Zegris, uh 11
0: 11 okay you're going with 11 i'll go with 11 too yeah. just a hunch yeah no inside info just a hunch wow um <laughs> huh anyway let's uh let's move on here so i do want to quickly discuss with you this isaac lundestrom situation really quickly might as well just knock it out of the park here before we get into the real meat of the show which is uh, pat verbeek had a media availability today and went into a few different topics which i think for us are, are worth discussing and, and getting into because with pat verbeek we we don't really know a whole lot about how he views the team what he thinks about different topics and and these availabilities these public comments over time, they build the story. They kind of build the file of our understanding of how he views the team, different players, different themes within that. That's kind of how we knew Bob Murray so well or what we felt like we did over the years because we had a mm-hmm. longer track record of, of public comments. So we'll get to that. It's going to be interesting. But Isaac Lindstrom, I mean, is there really anything to take away from that? The fact that he may or may not go to arbitration because keep in mind, filing for it doesn't actually mean it's actually going to get to that point where there's an arbitration hearing
1: yeah i i don't really think there's anything to necessarily make of it um this is a guy that i mean i think the only thing to make of it i guess is that they weren't able to come out uh come together on a deal as of yet and they were i guess far enough apart but there really isn't any reason for lundstrom to not file for it if that makes sense like i'm trying to come up with with some reason why this is a sign of something but I really can't think of that or, or think of anything along those lines, because all this t- tells me is they weren't at a deal yet. This doesn't mean that they can't come to an agreement on a deal come, uh, prior to the arbitration hearing. And this just essentially gives Lundstrom the ability to present his case to a neutral arbitrator to get what he thinks he deserves and using right. his CBA negotiated rights for himself. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Exactly. I mean, I think that if you're a player, and you feel confident that you can get through the arbitration process amicably, there's really no good reason not to do it. Um that being said, once a player has filed for arbitration, he's no longer eligible to be offer sheeted. So I guess that this is in a way good news for the ducks. Yeah. Not that not that anyone I mean, maybe, I don't know. (laughs) Not to be not to be negative an answer here, but I don't know if Teams were lining up to file offer sheets for Isaac Lindström. But anyway, now yeah, that and now that po- now that possibility and is
1: gone. Something that was brought up, I think, over the last day or two, I saw. It's going to be interesting to see how Pat Verbeek deals with this, because mm-hmm. and the reason I bring that up is Bob Murray and what we've learned about Bob Murray over the past year makes this kind of all checks out. Didn't like when players filed for arbitration. Yeah, how dare they! And almost every single player uh, that filed for arbitration was kind of traded pretty soon after. You look at Brandon Montour. You look at uh, James Wisniewski was a, a keen example of that where they went to arbitration and eventually got moved. Andrew Cogliano was really the only guy that that didn't happen to, but Chase DeLeo was, I think the, I think those were the four guys that actually filed for arbitration during yeah, their time with, with the Ducks.
0: With Richie and Lindholm, it was just holdouts, right? Yes, it was actually... just holdouts because they did not yeah.
1: have arbitration rights.
0: Yeah, so that's the other lever that you can pull on if you're a – an RFA,
1: yeah. Yes, and, so and, and so, it's going to be interesting to see how Pat Verbeek deals with it. Seeing as Bob Murray did not deal with it in the best way, it almost seemed like he thought it was challenging him. And well, and it can be contentious also because you have essentially, well, yeah, you're going to a neutral arbitrator, and there are stories of, of teams essentially shit talking players at those meetings and the player essentially trying to get what they think they deserve. And it really frays relationships uh, between organizations and players. And so I think that's why teams don't necessarily like getting to that point. And I don't think players probably do either, but it gives them the ability to get what they're worth.
0: Yeah. I actually wonder if players are required to be present at the hearing. I don't think so. (laughs) Okay. Because I was thinking like, what is real really the benefit for the player of being there? Um, Yeah. So it is interesting, I think, from... We'll get into this later, but I do kind of find it interesting that, yes, they did qualify an arbitration-eligible player, and he immediately files for arbitration, and one of the reasonings that was offered regarding some guys that were not qualified is of their arbitration eligibility. Well, immediately... uh, Sorry. there's, There's more to it than that, but... Yeah, and, I, do, and I, I, I do find it interesting.
1: And also should note that when uh, Isaac Lundestrom, uh elected for salary arbitration, that was the deadline. So it's not as if it's something along the lines of Lundstrom just decided now right, to do right. this. Right, the, right. right. I want to make that yeah. clear kind of after what yeah, you yeah. said. It almost sounded like he did this and on his time and decided to do that. There are deadlines for this. And for sure. player-elected arbitration, uh, the deadline was yesterday, I believe. Well, and so the,
0: the, the time frame is not like what I'm getting at. It's just that arbitration is going to possibly happen. And one of the reasons we were given or that we've even speculated as to why they didn't keep a Milano or a Steele is because of their
1: arbitration eligibility. And, and so salary arbitration I, hearings will be from July 27th to August 11th. Obviously, it's not over that entire time frame, so it depends on when his hearing is specifically scheduled for.
0: Yeah, so I guess it's you're better off only having one guy to deal with than, than po- possibly three, but it is interesting because I'm sure the Ducks probably must have known that this was going to happen with Lundstrom or at least had a gut feel about it.
1: Well, you have to imagine with all of the guys that were ar- ar- arbitration eligible, they had a feeling that it would go that far, which is why they decided not to qualify all of the guys that were arbitration eligible. And we talked about this, I think, on last week's show, was that... Um, A lot of teams in the league, I think, are now understanding where arbitration is going to go and what that deal is going to end up at. And so I think probably maybe Verbeek is
0: not it's not hard to project.
1: Maybe Verbeek is using this next month or so as an opportunity, right, to negotiate with Lundestrom, try to get him maybe locked up to more of a maybe he wants more term than Lundestrom does or something along those lines. And then come the time arbitration starts, he's going to essentially just give him that arbitration deal to not even have it go that far. And that may be what ends up happening.
0: Yeah. It's going to be really interesting because I wonder, I wonder what the case that a player like Isaac Lundestrom or his agent would be making on his behalf that he deserves more points or points are yeah, huge. I because what he you have, 16, 16 goals last yeah. year. Yeah. And so that,
1: that's the big one for him.
0: Right. Exactly. So it, it's, it's going to be interesting. I mean, it, this isn't really, I think for a lot of fans, like the most interesting aspect of following the team, but all this stuff matters over time. And it's important to at least have some understanding of it. I think that because we've been on this topic here, we might as well just get into the quote that we're kind of rough ref- or that I've been referencing mm-hmm. that Verbeek gave today. I also just want to point out, that the projected contract for Lundstrom through revolving hockey is three years for two point two mil. So interesting. Um, I don't. I'm wondering what it's going to end up being. If it's what is it at? If it's that. one year. Um, I haven't actually figured out how to like read that. On oh, these charts. you just go to the right and <laughs> it's so that that projected cap hit for it. Projected cap hit. If it's one year, you mean? Okay, if it's if it's a one year deal. Yeah, I'll I'll find it. I think it's one point five if I'm reading this correctly. Let's see. I'm not sure if that's correct though.
1: Yeah, one point five. Yeah. One point five four. Okay. Yeah. So as, as it's essentially I mean, that's kind of what happens with these deals. If you add more term, the player gets more money. Yeah. With, with these RFA deals because essentially the team the team would prefer the deal to be longer because then they're locking in the player for longer for more yeah, time years a player is going to actually benefit more from a shorter term deal because they will be exiting that when they're in their prime years so then they actually have to give up more money it's kind of this it's counterintuitive to what you expect because you expect with longer term deals the player is going to take less money annually because they're getting more term out of it Uh, Mm -hmm. and more job stability but when you're dealing with a player in his early to mid 20s they more so are going to benefit more if they take a shorter term deal by getting that bigger paycheck a year or two later
0: Mm -hmm. right i mean i don't know why this popped into my head but you know i guess so what happened i'm trying to remember what happened with ricard raquel for his contract extension did he he didn't hold out
1: he he, he wasn't he made it he made it all the way until training camp and then signed, I
0: believe. Yeah, that's right. Because he had twenty goals his his last RFA year. And yeah, he kind of ended up But getting, that that
1: was different. He didn't have arbitration rights though. That was yeah, coming yeah. off but, his ELC.
0: But but the the parallel I'm drawing is that he signed a deal that was definitely team friendly. I mean, six years uh with an A V at three point seven, mm-hmm. right? Like that's <laughs> he ended up being a bargain for a few, I mean, for pretty much the entirety of the, of the contract at that yeah. cap hit. He
1: signed that deal on October 14th.
0: Yeah. Whereas, and so that's the example to me of the kind of contract that maybe a player wouldn't want to sign. Yeah. And pic- um, picture, nowadays
1: picture for Carter Kelly only signed a two year deal. And yeah. what was the first year of that contract was 16, like 33 17. goals. Yeah, yeah. 16, 17. He had 33 goals. If he had signed a two year deal, he would have had a 33 goal season, and a 34 goal season. He would have made a whole lot more than that. Uh, than yeah. what he made over the course of that contract. If he had not taken the term.
0: Yeah. So, so that's the thing, right? I'm, I'm just curious what Isaac Lundstrom is after what the team is after. It's going to be interesting anyway. Mm-hmm. But to draw it back to that quote, though, that I've been referencing, so the, the last quote here from the Pat Verbeek interview, which we'll just get into now, uh, he was asked about not tendering qualifying offers to Milano and Steele, Sonny Milano and Sam Steele, and he said, well, in both cases, they had strong arbitration cases, and I wasn't prepared to go there for the years they had. So it kind of boiled down to what role would they play and did it make sense with the dollars And so essentially, it boiled down to dollars and cents for roll. So I think that this is a fairly valid argument on its face, which is that for what they would have gotten in arbitration, and so it's kind of insinuating that they would have gone to arbitration, that the Ducks didn't see them filling the kind of roles that would warrant what they'd be paying them.
1: Yeah, exactly. And this is kind of exactly what I had mentioned, I think, on last week's episode when we talked about Sonny Milano and the fact that while you and I disagreed with the thought process, it seems as if it was a situation where they understood what he was going to be getting as an RFA and decided instead of playing that game and him getting that deal that they did not want him at, they decided to just say, here's what we would give you. If you don't want it, you can walk. And that's kind of what this ended up seeming like of – They were negotiating and nothing came about and they didn't think that arbitration would have made sense from the contract that it would have ended up at. And so uh, Verbeek decided that he would rather allocate that money and those and it seems not even a money perspective. It seems also from a role perspective of where he sees these players at and figured that there were better options for those situations than just paying them for a year
0: yeah and I still disagree with this assessment because mm-hmm. no I agreed because the 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 crux of the argument is that we don't want to pay them for the role that we envision for them, and that basically sounds like to me that they're not going to get a big role, yeah or that they're not going to have a meaningful role, and I think Sonny Milano proved this season that if you put him in a position to succeed in a meaningful role that he is worth the money I mean he would certainly be worth the like one year arbitration award like i'm i'm pretty confident that he would be worth that for at least a year and then you can figure it out later it's it's just well yeah it's an it's 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 just to me that the assessment of the player is still off and so while everything that verbeek is saying is valid like there's nothing in there that's incorrect or, or that doesn't follow logically i just think that the that
1: initial assumption that he's the, not going to fill that role is off to me. The logic can make sense, but you don't have to necessarily agree with the logic. And I think that yeah. that is what's happening here with with this. And I think that – I think what we've seen, though, is – and this is kind of maybe my follow-up to it – is that Rubik's gone out and gotten a guy like a Frank Vetrano that's probably going to fill the role that Sonny Milano was going to be in. And that seemed like a guy that he had targeted. And so where does Sonny Milano now fit in on this team afterwards? And I guess maybe that's what he was kind of looking at, knew what he was trying to target, and maybe Sonny Milano didn't fit with what he wanted. And I think where you and I probably would disagree is give him the one-year deal The arbitration would probably award him and then flip him at the deadline if that's really how you feel. Let him rehab some value and, and, and increase his value. And now, granted, we don't know this, but I would assume Pat Verbeek probably shopped him around. And yeah, I, it seems like there probably were no bites cause he probably would have moved him or moved his rights if there were. And so that, that kind of might nix that, uh, argument in the bud and just stop it right there because he probably did try to shop him and nothing came about. And so the one thing that I do like about this quote, I think you and I would mm. both agree on this uh-huh. is it's refreshing to actually hear a GM give his reasoning for something. Whether you agree with it or not, there's a logical reason behind what the action was. And I think that is a refreshing thing about this quote from Pat Forbeek. is that I don't maybe I'm misremembering. Maybe my judgment's been clouded on Murray because of all of the bullshit. But I don't recall him necessarily having this type of explanation on certain moves and actually going into detail about certain things with how they're going to work. And I think that's something I really appreciate about this from Pat Verbeek is giving some insight into why he made the move and his logic behind it and reasoning behind it.
0: Yeah, well, I also think that he's using just the facts of the situation as opposed to, I think with Murray, there was a lot of deferring to these kind of intangible things or these really vague Locker room stuff. I mean, I still don't think Pat Verbeek is telling us everything here, but at least it seems like he has a grasp on the mechanics of how these things work. Whereas yeah. with, with Bob Murray, sometimes there were, I remember there being quotes where it's like, are we sure that he understands how this is working? Yeah. Right? At, le- at least for because it has a grasp on it. And at least there is some degree of transparency. Um, and I actually believe this explanation Yeah. because it's not, he's not directly saying necessarily why they did this because you kind of have to. You still have to read between the lines, and and you have to deduce that they just didn't see Steele and Milano figuring that highly in the lineup for it to be worth them kind of going through this this rigmarole. But at least he's giving you that, and and it's there to to be inferred. And I don't think that my inference here is way off base. Now it is interesting because when you look at, I mean, we're already getting ahead of ourselves here, and this team is yet to be formed, but. You look at the Ducks forward lines for next year, and I still think Sonny Milano could have easily fit into there. I mean, I don't think that—I know that Max Jones is coming back. I know that McTavish could take a step into the top six, at least the top nine. But you kind of figure that Milano is still a guy who can contribute and fit in, especially when you consider that you've got guys like Contois who really struggled last year, and Derek Grant who gives you nothing— are still going to be occupying spots that could have been Milanos. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, and,
0: and that's kind of I think the thing there. Yeah. So I I disagree, but hey, it's at least we're getting something. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you want to sh- let's let's go through these quotes here. Let's. Yep. Uh, I'll tr- I'll try to to abbreviate them or kind of maybe parse them down just a bit because some of these are lengthy responses. But last week we were the last time we we did an episode. We talked to you guys about the signings of Ryan Strome and Frank Petrano. And so this is Verbeek's explanation. I think that Ryan is going to be a good addition from a couple different angles. Uh, From a leadership standpoint, it's going to be very, very important. Uh, He's a really good playmaker, and he had a good year scoring goals as well. I think having someone that's very productive offensively and someone that is going to provide really good culture and really good leadership in the locker room was very important for our club. We addressed that vetrano brings a high energy game very hard worker who has the ability to get in on the forecheck create turnovers thinks like a shooter i think one of the things that always used to annoy me last year when i was watching the club was that we didn't shoot the puck enough we always were looking for the perfect play to put it in the net instead of shooting it Um, and frankie will bring this that shooter's mentality which i think is very important moving forward for us he's had some good years scoring 18 last year and 18 a couple years ago He's had some good scoring years and will be able to have the ability to go anywhere in the lineup in the top nine and be able to provide scoring. He's So we address that as well. He's got a really good shot, good release, like his mentality, how he approaches the game when he gets into those shooter areas. In this league, there's a lot of goaltenders. If they stop the first one, there's probably a good chance they're giving up a rebound and then the rebound gets put home. So I want guys thinking shoot more often. And he certainly brings that attitude and mindset to do that on a shift by shift basis. So Right away here, Jake. What I like about this quote uh-huh. is that everything he said about specifically Vetrano is is like you can look it up, yeah, and you can look at the tracking data and the stats, and like it holds up, yeah. And and I think that what what's interesting, especially on on Vetrano, is that it's not just about it's it's not this whole idea of oh, it's it's just about the production and oh he scored a bunch of goals. It's that he does these specific things yeah. that our team needs, and on top of that. You know, because, of course, we're going to make a lot of Murray comparisons because this is something we've done in recent years. Looking at Murray quotes is that, you know, you'll recall Murray saying things like, well, the guys, the guys need to get better at this. If there's a weakness on the team, they need to shoot more. You know, he never said that specifically, but it was always about the team itself needing to be better. And yes, Pat Verbeek needed to go out and make moves. But instead of whining about guys needing to shoot more, he went out and got a shooter. Yeah, That's a that's
1: a sign of progress. Yeah, understanding that, hey, certain players are just going to be certain players and they're not going to necessarily change, so you need to supplement them with other players that can do that well. Not every player is going to be great at every single aspect of the game, and you should bring in players that complement their play style so that they can do what they do best and bring in someone that does the thing that you're a little bit weak at. And, I mean, Pat Verbeek was able to find that and address that, and I think this is very telling. I think it's also... The thing that I like about these quotes is, well, yes, there are some intangibles like hard worker, um, good mentality. And even and when we'll get to Strom, talking about leadership and things like that. But he backs up the hard worker with ability to get in on the forecheck and create turnovers. Mm-hmm. Like that is something where if you want to find an exact like way of transitioning this kind of more intangible to how the outcome is from that intangible. That's a way to do it of get in on the forecheck, get turnovers for your team and create some offense off of that. That's exactly what you want to hear from someone who is a hard worker. You don't want to see a guy, let's just say, a very hard worker that's going to go out there and just throw his body around and be physical. Right. There's a right. big difference between saying that and then just saying get in on the forecheck. And I think that's what's really nice here to to hear that. And that's something that we saw from, I mean, I mentioned this with, uh, I think it was talking about Nathan Gaucher, but... Look at Val Chuchkin and how impactful his forecheck was with the, for the Colorado mm-hmm. Avalanches. You're not saying that that's what Frank Vetrano is because that isn't, but no, that's showing the impact of being able to get in there and, and have a guy that can do that. And I think that that's important that uh, that Verbeek was able to assess that and see that that's something that he was able to do. And it, it's just, I think this is, I mean, I think we're going to rave a bit about Pat Verbeek with all these quotes, but it's just refreshing. And I think that, that that's the biggest takeaway. It is refreshing, and I do find it somewhat
0: interesting that a big motivation for the Strome signing is the leadership aspect. But I, I think, as much as we, as much as we bag on the intangible stuff, it does matter still to a team to be well, a yeah. functioning unit. And they did lose Ryan Getzlaff. Mm-hmm. He, he, he is, he still is the leader of the team. He's, he's at everybody's. He was at Terry's wedding, and you know they went on this big trip, and it's like, yeah, he, he really mattered to that team, and they need to, they needed to bring in a voice to kind of. At, you you can't replace a Ryan Getzlaf, but you need. I think that he there wasn't this big faith that I can just leave these these guys to their devices. That it, hey, it'd, it'd be good to bring in an, another veteran. In and I way. think
1: there's a difference between bringing in a Ryan Strome to be a veteran voice and a leadership perspective, and bringing in say a Nicolas Delorier for that role. <laughs> I knew you were gonna bring up Delorier as ten, soon ten as he team started team no trade that. list. <laughs> yeah.
0: Bring in a guy who can play and can be a leader. Yeah. That's what you want.
1: Yeah, the the leadership is something that you obviously want to find. Those are the intangibles that we don't necessarily talk about that much because, quite frankly, you and I aren't in that locker room. None of us are, so it's hard to necessarily yeah. talk about what's impactful. But if you're going to get a guy that does that, bring in a guy that is actually going to be able to hold his own on the ice and, and not yeah. going to be a completely negative impact for you. And that's what Ryan Strom is. And Ryan Strom's a guy that... Um, while playing, while he played with Artemi Panera, and that did impact his point totals. He's a guy that has shown um, an ability to create offense and has different things that he uh, does well. And it's going to be a very nice complementary player for this team long term. And while we've talked about his contract at length, this is a guy that is getting paid basically what you want a two slash three C to get paid in this league, and will be paid yeah. that through the entirety of the contract.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So let's uh, let's keep moving along here. He was asked if there are, if on what other moves are planned. And so he responded, well, I'd like to add another forward and we're exploring probably adding another defenseman. So there's two players that we're probably looking to get and making sure that they're a good fit for our team. I, I think that that's a very fine answer, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is pretty clear looking at the Ducks lineup, particularly on the back end, that. I mean, we've talked about this a bunch, but they can't roll into the season with that defense core if they want to be competitive. And
1: I think this is kind of exactly what we thought, that one more forward, one more defenseman, and then this roster is pretty close to being set. Yeah, Yeah, it it, it, it checks out. Maybe a salary dump also they'll be able to take. like This does not exclude them from making a trade uh, and taking on an asset to take on a bad contract or something like that. But I think this also goes to the thought process that this is not Pat Verbeek trying to tank. He's looking yeah. to add another, and I think that was a big takeaway for me that all of these moves, obviously we've talked about, these were not tanking moves that he did, uh, signing Strom, signing Vitrano. But bringing on another forward and another defenseman, that is four decent-sized pieces that they're going to be bringing in to reshape this roster, four of your 21-man, 20 or, or 21, no, was way off with that. You have a 23 man roster. So 21 of your 23 guys, four of those will be different than last year for sure. Um, yeah. But this kind of goes to show that he's looking to improve this roster and, and make yeah. this team better. And I think to everyone that's kind of a little bit impatient, this goes to show that he is looking at those guys. Maybe he's being a bit particular, but that's not a bad thing. Yeah, exactly. And,
0: and I mean, you really do look at the, the lineup and, and, they need they need another guy in both groups arguably maybe a couple on the back end yeah but yeah like that that checks out yep now he was asked about how you how do you replace ryan Getzlaff, and he said well we're going to do it by committee i think from a leadership standpoint ryan Strom is an outstanding individual highly dedicated athlete that demands nothing but the best from himself and i think that will certainly translate well to the rest of the group it's a guy that can teach the egresses Troyce harry and drysdale and a couple other younger guys that are kind of vying for jobs what it means to be a pro, being highly conditioned. Your everyday approach when you come on the ice for practice is constant dedication to making sure that you prepare your body and that your mind, and your mind to give your best, not only in practice but in games, and that is vital. And you know what, Jake? As much as I always say that the intangible stuff doesn't totally matter, it's all about the on-ice product, I actually do think that there are guys on this team that can benefit from a bigger dose of that mindset. Yeah. I'm not sure I want to name names, but eh, screw it. Max Contois sucked last year. I don't know how else to say it. Don't and want to I name names, at... but I'll name a name. Well, no, I, I won't I won't cower. I don't like that I'm not going to name names thing. I'm going to say it. Um, Max Contois sucked. I think that he might even agree, although I don't think he would agree with maybe the how much of it was his fault, and I, I do have time for that argument because certainly – he was jostled around the lineup. But today, I mean, I was looking at the, the tracking data for Contouin, and It's just like, man, when he wasn't shooting the puck, he legitimately was doing nothing else. Like the, all the defensive stats, the defensive activity, zone entries, puck touches in the defensive zone, retrievals, just so far below average. And even on the forechecks, an area where maybe you would think that a bigger aggressive guy like him would thrive, also below average pressures, recovered dump-ins. So... And I, and I think that with Contois, it's, I think the ability is there. I really do. And I'm not trying to say that he has poor habits or whatever, that he's not a pro, but I think that ramping up the intensity could benefit a player like that. Anyway. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think that, I think for Beek's comments here are, are, are pretty, pretty good. I mean, he's essentially trying to make sure that he's surrounding the younger guys on the team. Um, with some more veteran players that can help them kind of show what it is to, to try to win, create almost a winning environment, winning, uh, mentality. Um, and kind of essentially going through all those details that you have to do and,
0: and being well conditioned. I mean, yeah, there's guy, there are guys in the team and for the younger guys, it's not really their fault completely. They're on the, just the beginning of their trajectory. But yeah, like a Trevor egress, we we talked about the frail thing at the end of the last year, right? He can definitely benefit from being, from adding muscle, adding size, strength. Troy Terry, I mean, he, he took a big step with that last year. But sure, of course, anyone can benefit from more of that. Jamie Drysdale, certainly. And I do find it interesting that he lumped in the younger guys vying for jobs. I mean, I wonder who those guys are. I would venture to guess that Max Contois, Max Jones are probably in that group. Um, and then maybe
1: guys in the AHL that are that have yet to really carve out a spot. So, interesting comments. Yep. And so, Felix, though. With all of that hard work mm-hmm. that they've kind of, they'll put in on their conditioning, probably gets them into pretty good shape, right? Body's looking pretty good. Yes. So with that, it's officially summertime and everyone talks about looking good for the warmer months, but few have the balls to do it. Well, it's time to nut up or shut up and take the easiest step to look sexy this summer by using Manscaped. Manscaped's ultra smooth package makes sure you have the proper care for down there and their boxer 2.0 give you gives you the perfect stage to show off your new look these products may make you look hot uh but your cleanly shaved nethers will keep you cool and the boxers 2.0 patent and jewel pouch technology will keep your boys from turning any beach day into swamp day dive headfirst into summer by joining the 5 million men worldwide who trust manscaped and get 20% off Plus free shipping by going to manscaped.com slash CTP. So Felix, why don't you tell the folks about the ultra smooth package? Yeah, the ultra smooth package is a specialized
0: three-step groin shaving kit to help you buff, protect, and smooth your most sensitive areas. I'm talking crop shaver razor, crop exfoliator, and crop gel. This kit is the most perfect polish to make your family jewels shine. Step one with the crop exfoliator infused with ingredients that can soothe, clear and keep the skin on and around your groin feeling refreshed, the Crop exfoliator can help reduce the risk of ingrown hairs in your delicate places, Jake. I don't know about you, but ingrown hairs suck. I think we can all agree, we've all been there. Step 2 in your routine, the Crop gel. See what you're shaving with our see where you're shaving with our unique clear shaving gel just for the groin. It's called your delicate area for a reason. This is one place you do not want to go into blind. Yeah been there, can attest. Step three, once you've done all that, the crop exfoliator and the crop gel, it's time to shave. The crop shaver was designed for shaving the groin area with confidence. This razor has three precision blades, including extra wide lubricating strips and a pivoting head for the ultimate groin grooming experience. All three of these vegan, cruelty-free and sulfate-free products are included so you know your manhood is in good hands and without compromise. Once you have your hog and prize... Once you have your hog in prize-worthy condition, grab yourself... Who calls it a hog? Grab yourself a pair of the Manscaped Boxers 2.0. They are ultra-soft, moisture-wicking, Cooling, anti-chafing masterpieces,
1: fit for a king and made for your royal scepter. So you can go get 20% off plus free shipping with the code CTP, like crash the pawn at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code CTP at manscaped.com. There are so few, uh, there are so few perfect summer days. Don't let hot, sweaty balls ruin them. Stay fresh, clean, and smelling good with Manscaped.
0: I just really want to know who who uses the term hog to refer to, to, you know, what? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. M- moving on. Yeah. Moving on. Okay. Go, go, go help us out though. Help us help you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do it. If you do <laughs> on,
1: go check them out. If you want Felix to say hog more on the podcast.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If you just enjoy these ad reads and just want to have us keep embarrassing ourselves, I, I think that this is, this is the way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, th- that's how you can help us. Okay. Uh, let's move on here on. So have ask on finding a veteran defenseman? I don't know if that's a priority. I want to find someone that's able to take up some minutes. So I'm not exactly sure there's anybody out there at this time. That's a veteran and can provide something on the back end yet. We've been looking and there are certain things that maybe we can try but I have to make sure it's a good fit, not only from a contract standpoint, but that the type of player we're bringing in will fit into the culture and the rest of the group. There are free agent defensemen that are out there. Some of them are asking too much term. So I'm looking for much more shorter term defensemen. There are possible trade scenarios, but I'm willing to kind of look at the free agency market before I go to the trade market. So kind of a detailed
1: answer, actually. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's one that you want to hear because a lot of times on free agency day, the issue that you end up finding is the term that's given out. And mm-hmm. we even talked about with Strom. either of us like that term that much, but it's somewhat manageable, but especially with defensemen and how much the game can essentially uh, go past them, especially if you're signing a guy that's 31, 32 years old. Um, yeah. They you, can decline. Yeah. You want to find a guy on a bit of a shorter term. And so, I mean, I'm just curious what free agent defensemen are out there that he could potentially be talking about, but it seems as if he's really being selective at not only who, who he's looking at, but the term he wants to give them. And the other thing I think that's critical here is that he didn't necessarily exclude looking at the free agent market, or sorry, mm-hmm. at the, the trade market, but he wants to look at the free agent market first. And that kind of makes sense because from the trade perspective, sure, you may get a guy that is more uh, fine-tuned towards your window, which may be a benefit to doing that and why maybe you would do it first. But the downside to that is you're giving up assets for it. And if you don't love that player, you may not want to give up assets for a guy that you don't love. And that's kind of I think the issue there. And so that's why it seems as if he's probably trying to look at the free agent market, see who can, who he can get for absolutely no cost. And that's the reason why. So,
0: yeah, I mean, you look at like PK Subban. Yep. Right. And PK Subban's 33. Uh, I, I'm actually now curious what his contract would be. I have it at my fingertips. Um, his projected contract is three years, three point eight, and I could see Pavurbeek not wanting to sign that because mm-hmm. three years for a thirty-three year old who's had some issues with injuries like that—that's a little—that's a little scary, right? Yeah. Um. Also, also PK Subban. Like, I don't know. There's always stuff out there about the off ice, and maybe that's just not what he wants to bring in. Who knows? I mean, he's he's had a, some resurgent seasons. Anton Stralman, right? He's thirty-five, and he would. I mean, it sounds like he wouldn't cost much one year, 1.5, but is there just not enough return? Is there just not enough value for a guy like that? Yeah, so
1: and, and I kind of get the hesitancy. There's not many great and names it, out there. I would assume probably the guy he's talked to and specifically probably who he's talking about here is John Klingberg.
0: Mm, As in okay. someone
1: that is uh, asking for too much term.
0: He's 29. So, you know, he's asking for the eight years. Yeah. Very likely. Yeah. Or, sorry. The seven years. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, it wouldn't, it, what, how interesting would it be though, to see actually his, pro, his projected term is, is six years, but I mean, it, I feel like he'd probably ask for more than that. How interesting would it be to see the ducks get John Klingbird? I wouldn't want him on a six or seven year deal.
1: No, I don't think you want any player in that age range
0: unless they're unless they're elite, 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 elite. Yeah,
1: and sorry, one other thing though about the exact comment for Verbeek that I find interesting is that Mm -hmm. the The veteran no the veteran aspect and the fact that he kind of downplays that being a necessity and I think that that's kind of refreshing that it doesn't have to be a a veteran. He's just looking for someone that can take up some minutes for him, and that's Mm -hmm. kind of downplaying the necessity of having to have someone that's a veteran. You it as in fit is more important than experience yeah and i think that
0: that's just a narrative thing that's out there is oh you guys looking at like i'm looking at your you know daily face-off line chart and it looks like you could use another veteran right Mm -hmm. i think that the key is a player that can that can play and that makes sense contractually would you do four years for klingberg at 6.2 mil a year
1: Honestly, I haven't thought that much about Klingberg, so I okay. don't
0: really know. I don't to do ha, a, You don't you don't need to have an opinion, although I kind of wish you would have an opinion.
1: <laughs> um, I, I'm right now just very quickly to give myself some thought process here looking up his art em charts. Um yeah, not he's, great he's an defensively. An,
0: yeah, he's an offense I don't want to say offense. Well, he is an offense first defenseman, Yeah, and that, that is one way to put it. And you know he's he's really good at transitioning the puck. He's really good at creating chances, at, at getting shots off, and he's great on the power play. Four I mean, years, is, I might do. This is a guy who would help the Ducks. I mean, undoubtedly. Yeah. Y- you put him. You put him on the second pairing. I mean, hell, he might be on the first pairing, but he just helps that group because there's just guys who can't really handle the minutes right now. Yeah, I mean, Move you do down Kling, Klingberg, Fowler. Yeah, or. Man, this is a rough group. <laughs> um, yeah, Klingberg, Benoit, Klingberg, Vakanainen. I don't know. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and so and the thing is, none of the the free agents really stick out to you though as being. I mean, Klingberg
0: to, to me is is the one guy that's kind of like a a needle mover. Everyone else, I mean, it's I mean, just if you kinda can like
1: if you can somehow pry Rasmus Sandin out of Toronto, maybe, but he's sure, RFA. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, now I'm I'm just looking at UFAs. No, yeah, so right.
0: yeah. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, Danny De DeKaiser, no. Mm-hmm. Calvin DeHaan, hmm. It's just, yeah, it's not a awesome list, so I kind of understand the the hesitancy there. Klingberg yeah, would just be fun because he's it a kinda of player.
1: It kind of sounds like at some point he's going to go to the trade market on it, which Jacob Chikrin, Travis Sanheim, list of probably a bunch of other names that you could think of on the, the yeah. trade market for defense. And so they're going to need they're going to need to pivot to that at some point if they just decide that none of these guys are worth. Well, and this kind of goes to our point, right, that there's still a lot of time in this free agent window. And so this is something that we could see them essentially start digging into um, over the next couple months. And so it seems like he really focused on looking who was available in the free agent market and then is going to switch gears. And really, from a trade perspective, they're the big trade targets. There really haven't been that many that are gone. Fiala, I mean, the the big kind of prime ones, I guess, are gone in Fiala and DeBrinket, but that's really it, right? Or am I missing yeah. someone? Uh, Burns, well, I mean, Burns, I guess, ma- is gone, technically. Ma- but Matthew Kachuk looks like he's probably going to stay. Well, it now, it basically, now there's just no offer sheet option.
0: Yeah, yeah. So... It's gonna be interesting. The the back end to me is is kind of an eyesore <laughs> right now. Yeah. Uh they have to do I mean, you, you can't say that you wanna take a step forward and and start the season with that group and I don't think that they will. Yep. So let's move on here. Uh on hiring Craig Johnson as an assistant coach, we talked about him on the last pod. Uh the man who has all the experience in the area specifically coaching high school hockey in Orange County. So this is what he said for Anaheim and Craig Johnson at some point here over the next couple of years, we're going to start inserting younger players into our lineup. And I don't subscribe to once you've made the NHL development times over. Craig comes with an extensive background in development. That was what I was looking for to add to the assistant coaching group. A lot of times coaching staffs get really bogged down with the daily minutia of video and preparing for the next game. And I wanna make sure that these players who are younger don't miss out on going through video, going through on-eye scenarios, working with Craig after practice on a lot of different ele- elements of their game. So to me, that's going to be an, an important role for our team moving forward. And Jake, this might actually be my favorite answer of any of them because yeah. this is this is so, so true. Well, This is so, so true. And it's what, fascinating everything you when
1: here. you think about who he's replacing, right?
0: Yeah, Jeff Ward, who's just kind of an old school, well, I don't want to say old school, but just he's, he's one a of the guys.
1: Coach. He's a former head coach. He's just one of the guys who's, and, who's in this carousel. And I think this is an absolute great coach or great quote, because I think Dallas Aikens, when he was in the AHL, probably did care about development. And that was probably something they focused on when they hired him to be the NHL coach. But I think that all the losing, all that stuff, maybe that made him not care as much and cared more about going game to game. Well, and we I, saw I, I think so, it, Or message sending or things like that were, were more so the way that he was trying to to get points across to players as compared well, to actually trying to improve them.
0: And also knowing the kind of pressure that Akins was under with True. Murray and expectations, I think that there's a lot of good development guys who become bad development guys, or not even bad, but just don't Th- their, they lose their incentives. Their their incentives change, and and as a result, development is hurt. And I think it's such a great quote because, yeah, in the NHL, you still have an opportunity to develop players, and you really like that's the way that you keep getting the return on investment of guys that you've drafted, guys that you've well th- that you've traded for from other organizations that you want to help keep growing. You need to you need to get the most that you can out of them, and having a guy who that's kind of his role on the coaching staff, taking the
1: pressure off the other guys. That's fantastic. And kind of the other uh, thing I was going to go into here is that you have more and more guys breaking into the NHL at a younger and younger age. And yeah. so as part of that, more and more guys are going to be developing at the NHL level. And yeah. that's just kind of your, you enter the NHL at your pre prime years instead of in basically in your prime. And yeah. so that way you're in your prime for your entire NHL tenure instead of coming in during the middle of it. But as part of that is you have to have that development as you go from your pre-prime into your prime years. And so this is a really good quote. And I think it's something that stands true no matter what, whether you're a young team or an old team, you're going to have younger players on your team no matter what that need to have that development time. And I think having a guy like that on your your coaching staff, we focus so much on having guys for the power play, guys for the penalty kill, guys that focus on the defense, guys that focus on the forwards. I think having a guy that's there to help, Essentially, bring along these younger guys is a really smart thing. It's perfect.
0: It's perfect because because it's what they need. Yeah, they have a bunch of young guys now, and they're going to have more, right? I mean, if everything breaks right, they're going to have a bunch more. They're going to come through. Come through the team, and this is like this mentality is not. I don't. It's. I don't think it's very common in Mm -hmm. the NHL. I think there's still a lot of teams that that haven't really done this. I mean, I remember a few years ago. I don't know if it was Cla- Claude Julian said this specifically, but it was along the lines of the NHL is not a development league. And yeah, it isn't when you're under the gun and you're in the 82 mm-hmm. game grind and you need to get points every night. You're not thinking about how a guys skating is coming along or, or whatever. You're thinking about how can you win as a coach? And so to have a guy on your staff take just kind of take that responsibility entirely off of your plate. It's just so perfect.
1: You know what? Taking a step back, I hadn't really even thought about that in contrast to this quote from Verbeek. And you're so right that this is not something you necessarily hear a lot of times. You do hear a lot of guys. I think Bob Murray has even said that, that the NHL is a hard league to play in and that it's not for developing young guys. And even Pat Verbeek has kind of said you want to have guys in the AHL and want to let them marinate. But I think this is kind of the you have both sides of it that you are still going to have, have it both guys. ways. Yeah. Yeah. You, you're still going to have to be developing in the NHL. Um, and also why wouldn't you want to right? So you, I don't know if you listen to this. I did not, but I think you may I have did. listened to Dallas Hake did on the Ray and dregs pod. Did he talk about the NHL not being a development league on that? I don't remember the specific pain, quote. Pain flight brings that up in our Twitch chat. That's why But
0: I, I do remember him kind of saying, that it's a hard league and that it's, it's a, it's a difficult league for younger players. And I don't know if he had said something like that specifically, but yeah, I, I don't think Dallas Aikens was, was dialed in on development last season. That no. wasn't his mandate, nope. uh, at least to start. And I mean, that's why, like to me here, here comes the, here comes the mention. I think Marty St. Louis was so good for the Habs at the end of the season is because that was very clearly, you were even like Don Granado in, in, um, in Buffalo, it was like, that's their mission is to help develop. And when that's your goal and you go all in, then yeah, guys are going to benefit.
1: Even think about the way that Trevor's egresses last two years have been handled. Beat always brings it up about this past year, but even going back to the year prior and the way they handled it about putting him on wing and not at center. And, and yeah. it, it's just these things that just don't necessarily make sense with the way that they've handled um, certain players and then putting Drysdale and it, it's just the contrast between all of that. And, and it just feels like there wasn't a plan. And at least with this quote, it feels like supposedly
0: supposedly there was a plan. We're going to put him on the wing and then
1: he's going to be a center. Remember that whole thing? Yep. Put him on wing, Uh, put, put him on wing, let him play in the, in the AHL, then let him play in the NHL, then send him back down to play in the, uh, uh, center in the (laughs) AHL, then have him come back up to be center in the NHL. Oh, whoopsie doozy. This is just uh, enough games where you aren't able to be eligible for a year of service. (laughs) <laughs> just just oh, God. just so happens and just so happened trevor's egress made note of that that he's like it is funny that that jamie and i played the exact same amount of games yeah that was so didn't uh, go
0: unnoticed i i don't miss that that era Nope, i don't miss that at all nope. okay let's let's move on here we've got two more uh this is about hiring roy sommer to coach the san diego goals I've known Roy for a long time. We actually played there together in New Jersey a long time ago. Roy was in the San Jose organization for a long time. He's put a lot of guys into the NHL from his teams. And what I was looking for was really someone that could set the tone, building culture, making these young players men, having them understand the game, the way they're going to have to play to play at the next level, and the commitment and work ethic that goes with that. And I think Roy's going to be able to really help with all that. I mean, Roy Sommer is a really respected veteran AHL coach. He's been around forever, it feels like he's legit been around forever. And yeah, I mean I don't have a whole lot to say I don't have much I've been in this armor, but you know, having followed the Sparks for a little while, it seems like he's
1: been all well
0: around. So that's what I
1: Yep. I got nothing else and you've gone robotic for me, but it might just be me. Okay. Alright. Uh well don't remain that way. Uh okay. On
0: the chances of signing in Jackson
1: and for big response. Oh, there's always. Oh, yes. you're you're robotic. Also, we got double robots here. Okay. Should we stop? No, we we'll get. Uh, let me read this one. I'll read this one. Uh, on the chances of signing Thrun and uh, and Jackson Lacombe. Well, there's always a concern at the end of the day. Once they get by a certain time, they're going to have the ability to decide uh, whether they want to sign with us or go free. So, yeah, it is. It's a concern, but we will proceed with trying to sign them. They are property until August 15th or next year. So we will continue to give them the reasons why they should stay with the Ducks organization. So this is really kind of as good as you can hope for them. Um, there's really not a whole lot more that I think Pat Verby can say about Henry Thurin and Jackson LaCombe, and um, it's really just gonna be whether they want to or whether they want to pick where they go.
0: I yeah, think I no, think you're good still,
1: now. Yep, you're good. My good, you're a little grainy like me now, but your uh your robotic Yay. was even worse than mine. Okay, your your well, robotic was. It boop, rubbed boop, off boop, on boop, me, beep, I guess.
0: Oh, good. Fitting the Star Wars theme. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that this quote is not really saying much of anything. It's like, yeah, we're going to try to sign them and that's that's kind of it. I don't know if there's really anything else to, to take away from that.
1: Yep. All right. So let's get into questions, unless you got anything else you want to add. Yeah. Solid enough. 15 no, minutes I, I, on I'll, those quotes. I'll just say that it was,
0: all in all, I think it's encouraging stuff. Uh, you know, if you're a fan of the team and you want to feel confident about the direction of the team, I think just listening and reading of how paper is, is expressing himself and what he's saying. And just this kind of composed logical tone. It's a, it's a breath of fresh air and it should give you some confidence.
1: Agreed. Um, hey, OD flow said, what is your projected top three D pairings for the ducks on opening? Night? It's okay to have one or more designated spots for any yet to be signed UFA. Okay. Uh, Salem has an answer on this, I guess.
0: I'm hearing cat noises. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's Salem or someone else that's nope. making the noises. No, it, it, it's so. definitely Salem. Okay. So my projected top four. Um, can I just go full chaos? Okay, go for it. Um. Okay. I'm gonna go Cam Fowler, Jamie Drysdale, Simon Benoit, John Klingberg, and then Eurovacanine and Kevin Shattenkirk.
1: I will go with Cam Fowler, Jamie Drysdale, Jacob Chicken, Josh Mahura, Whew. Erho Vakanainen, okay. Simon Benoit, so, or Shattenkirk, whatever, 70? who cares?
0: Okay, you don't want to go Fowler, Drysdale, Benoit, Klingberg, Vakanainen, Subban? No, <laughs> I mean, you also
1: left out Mahura.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean I don't know how I feel about Mahura anymore. Okay. I think he he's just
1: he's just all over yeah. the place. Jet, I, I guess. Our, our our good friend Jack Kobaka bastard, aka Green Bastard said, which current Ducks player would win in a hot dog eating contest against his teammates? <laughs> Speaking of hogs, uh who would eat the fewest hot dogs? And bonus, what toppings does Jack Kopaka get on his hot dogs? Uh Try not to get myself in trouble here. Who would win in a hot dog eating contest? I'm letting you answer these ones. These are questions for you. I feel like.
0: Okay. I feel like Trevor Zegris is just so competitive that he
1: would find a way. Also, he's the youngest, so his body can rebound the quickest from eating like crap.
0: Yeah. So I'm going to go with him. What was the second part of that? Who would
1: eat the fewest hot dogs?
0: Fewest. Um. Oh, this 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 is this should be Who's who is uh, the health nut on the team? Yeah, I was gonna say who's like the Nathan McKinnon of this team. I feel like Adam Henrique must be I mean he looks in good shape, and as a thirty two year old who's still performing at a high level, actually, you know what? I'll go Ryan Strom. Ryan Strom since he's supposed to be the fitness guy. He, wait, is he a fitness guy? Well, that's the whole thing that he was brought in for. We just read the quote. He's brought in to help instill good habits and conditioning
1: and, and whatnot. I'll go with Vitrano. Okay. I have no actual reason behind no it. no reasoning okay uh what toppings does Jack Kopaka get on his hot dogs for those that don't know Jack uh, Green Bastard is the biggest Jack, Jack Kopaka fan there is I mean can we
0: do we still have to talk about someone who's not in the organization uh, like, like I, I, he
1: he is a longtime patron of ours are you really going to disrespect him like this what toppings Jack Kopaka would get hmm I'm gonna go with ketchup.
0: Because ketchup is the worst uh, topping, and he's been one of the worst players.
1: So, yeah, ketchup it is. You know I'm going to say he, go, he goes with the perfect uh, toppings. Ketchup, mustard, onions, jalapenos. Ketchup, onions, mustard, jalapeno. You
0: almost have me there, but ketchup does not belong on a hot dog. So. Ketchup's the key glue there. It's the best part
1: no ketchup sucks hey yo deflo said if pavar beak were an, well, this is just off the rails pavar if pavar were an alcoholic drink which alcoholic drink would he be and why I'm, I'm really glad that it went to alcoholic drink
0: because at first i was like <laughs> whoa are we we're getting ourselves so in trouble here okay if he was a boozy drink which one would he be hmm i don't know i feel like pavar beak seems like kind of a dry straightforward guy not dry like in a battery,
1: but just like serious. You're, I got um, an answer, a very well thought out one that I've made up in a minute. Sure. He's an old fashioned. He's okay, timeless, while also can have a new age spin on him. He's a guy okay. that is known for being kind of an old school type of guy on the ice. But you can find plenty of old fashions that are, are manufactured in a way to make them very new and unique. And, and okay. up to, to modern standards. Okay. All right. I'll go with that. I'm here for it. Are you a fan of how I made that up in a quick second? I I, I like the
0: explanation because the name made no sense. So I like that the explanation kind of came through to to salvage it.
1: Well, I mean, the name is about the drink. It wasn't about the name. It was a good explanation. Okay, there you go. I'm happy with it. Ken Pafu asks, with the UFA moves that uh, Pat Verbeek has made thus far, uh, making it seem... uh, with the UFA moves that Paverbeek has made thus far, making it seem as if he's leaning towards seeing the light at the end of the rebuild tunnel, do you think any decisions made on draft day were influenced by some of the prospects looking like they are able to play in the NHL sooner? If so, can you see them letting any of them play a few NHL games, and who would that be if you had to choose one?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. But I don't. I still don't think that they were drafting with the idea of, oh, we're going to... I just don't think it's like a very Martin Madden esque way of drafting, and no. yeah, there's a Pat Verbeek influence now, so it's it's a fair it's a fair point, a fair question. I I think that Mintukov might get a look, right? I mean, he's maybe he's a very excited he's a very I mean, with the player. blue
1: line, maybe maybe they have yeah, to. yeah,
0: like like there's an opening there. I and mean, I could see I could see even Nathan Gauche, You know, I I could see Nathan Gauthier actually. Man, I might even plant my flag here, but I could I could is see your Troy him, Terry moment. I could see him have a really good training camp, have a really good preseason. He brings that element, right, that that we've talked about of, of, you know, effective forechecking, effective physicality. He's got some playmaking to him. And I could see him just kind of outshining the Contois or the Joneses of the world and and earning a spot for opening night. I could see that happening. I'm calling it now. Nathan Gaucher will be in the lineup
1: opening night. Wow, bold take. It 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 it, it feels a little... I feel a little scared saying that. We'll see how it plays out for him, Cotton. Uh, Olaf (laughs) is berserker said, is the seemingly stalled out UFA market a positive or negative for the Ducks? I don't think it really affects the Ducks because I think that the guys that they were after
0: they got and it doesn't seem like there's anyone really left that they would be in on. Should
1: we rescind the Hubba hubba that we made last week?
0: Yeah, so... I guess I'll just say it because it feels like a worthy thing to say. But suppose reportedly, I've been told that the ducks were never in on Kadri Never in on Azam Kadri. So take that for what it is. That's what I've that's what I've I've heard. So There you go. Might folks. M- might run counter to
1: other things that are out there, but I'm willing, I'm willing to put it out there. Uh, Hey, OD said, what is the minimum process wise and record wise that Dallas Akins need to do this season to earn a contract extension? And on the other hand, are there specific things he might do that would disqualify him in Verbeek's eyes from receiving an extension? Well, I think that you read what
0: Pat Verbeek values and what he wants to see. And I think it's pretty clear that the team has to take a step forward in the way that it competes, the way that it generates offense, the way that it gets more shots off just its overall intensity level it has to go up and i think that that's a worthy thing because yeah they could have benefited from that and so if dallas akins cannot get his team to play that effective style of hockey where they are competitive where they are pushing teams not necessarily winning a bunch of games but just really pushing teams and being a team that other that the opposition is not excited to play against then i think Dallas Aikens has a shot. I think he has a shot at coming back. I don't think it's a guarantee at that point because I do think that Pat Verbeek is going to want his guy, right? Like that has to be on the back of his mind. But at least that gets him a shot. If they make the playoffs doing that, then yeah, Dallas Aikens is safe. But if the team doesn't take a step forward in that way, if they're still kind of this bottom tier team at five on five, if they they don't really have that bite to them offensively, I just don't think there's any way
1: he's coming back. It's plain and simple. I'd agree with that. Yeah, I I think for me, it's really about the process becoming better. I I think that that's a big part. I think that they need to see them be around middle of the pack, if not uh, above middle of the pack for -hmm. that. And I think just being essentially in a playoff race, you don't have to make the playoffs, but I think not being bottom 10, I, I think is something that Pat Verbeek with the roster he's building is something he's looking at. And I think another season of a worst 10 team in the league is not going to be good enough, I think, with what Paverbeek Pavard- is looking at with the scene with this roster. And so, yeah. Um, Ducks check or not, our good friend Eric, with a way too early question that we will probably just wave off. But assuming the Ducks miss the playoffs and also don't win the lottery, seems like a likeliest scenario. Which prospects, realistically, should we be watching oh, as potential first-round picks next year? Eric, I'm just going to make you write the article about it right now. How about that? I actually was reading a, 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 like,
0: 2023 draft ranking the other day, and I actually can't really remember anything about it. Let me see if I can pull something up here. Uh, okay, prospect to watch. Let's go with Matthew Wood, Braden Yeager, <laughs> Mikhail Gulyayev. Wait, how do they spell Jaeger? <laughs> uh, Y-A-G-E-R. Uh, that's no fun uh I, this might be too high but adam fantilli <laughs> yeah i my field for that class is almost non-existent right now so please there have you some go respect all right have so some for, respect
1: so for anyone uh so that was from our patreon discord for anyone watching on youtube yes we're on youtube youtube.com slash slash pond where you can like and subscribe to our videos watch the recorded version of this thing up there um or if you're on your favorite podcast service uh you can find us every monday well I keep saying this. Who knows when our next episode is? Keep an eye out on, on Twitter because over summer, it's more uh, every other week, things like that. And we'll figure out our schedule as we go along. But during the season, every Monday at 8 p.m. Pacific time, you can find find us at twitch.tv slash Crash Spawn, where you can watch us live, interact with us live, and support us. If you have Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch Prime gaming sub each and every month. You do have to hit that subscribe button after 30 days, and it does help support us. More than you can imagine. And so you can just ju- be just like Heyo D Floor, good friend there who resubscribed to us uh, for 19 months, and Fat Geralt resubscribed for 16 months. So both of them over a year. Very, very exciting. Thing. Yeah. So Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame worthy. Yeah. So here we go. Let's get to some questions. Uh, here's Johnny71 said, Who, oh, and also anyone in Twitch, throw your questions in again, just so if you put them way earlier, because it's hard for me to track up with our current setup. Throw him in, throw a question at the front, just make my life a little bit easier. Here's Johnny71 said, who's your training camp surprise this year? I already said mine, but I'll say it again. Nathan Gaucher. There you go. Uh, not, Bo, not Bo Grew. Yeah, where... Uh, let's not get into that too much, but <laughs> Bo Grew is not going to be in the opening day roster for this Ducks team next year. I don't know I where it. this narrative that he's an nhl next season has come from. He was... Can we he was so bad that they legitimately like he was the the bright shiny toy at the start of the year and never received yep. a call up again. That is pretty crazy. No, he did, didn't he? Okay, maybe he may have gotten one game, but still, like never got a call up to like with injuries or anything like that to get in the lineup for significant minutes after that first stint. Yeah. Yeah, I mean his on ice
0: numbers were truly putrid. I did kind of take a peek today at like the, the tracking data, but it's such a small sample that I feel like I can't really draw anything from that. It's like sixty minutes or something. Uh yeah. That was a weird one. Yeah. Weird, like, weird. That was
1: that, that that was a weird actually no. No <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was he was... he he played from October basically the start of the season till November twenty fourth, or till like mid November or late November or so, played sixteen games over that span. Maybe he started getting scratched near the end. Was called back up for two games in January, and that was it. Yeah, and that was the the COVID situation. Yeah. yeah. So Like. Yeah. Like it's just funny how that's like. But okay, getting well, back to my training camp surprise, I'm gonna go Olin Zellweger yes. makes the team for out uh, off training camp. Ooh, that's a little
0: that's a little ballsy, but when you do look at that left side, uh, it makes sense.
1: Yeah. Put it that way. Yep. Uh, let's see. Uh, clay dog three said any thoughts on Perot and Tracy playing this year? It's hard. I it's think it's hard Perot to say is it. more likely. Do you think it's weird that Braden Tracy's at the development camp? A little bit. I mean, he was drafted in what?
0: 2019. Yeah. Like, like what's the statute of limitations? Well, on?
1: and I, I guess granted how many development camps have they had? I guess maybe that's yeah. something to necessarily want to give to add mean, to this per- conversation. Perot was there. Yeah. I think that with Tracy,
0: he's got, I mean, he's got two years left on his ELC. Perot's got three. Like, I think that they're just going to let these guys really
1: marinate. There's just no real impetus to rush them. Well, I, 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 yeah. I, I just think with the focus on development, I think it's odd that Tracy's there in some fashion because this is more so for drafted prospects, recently drafted prospects, things like that. But,. I think in the context of I'm not sure if they had a dev camp last year, even. Yeah. And and so or, or just or just like what I mean, the other thing
0: you gotta keep in mind is that this is the first development camp for this development staff. Right? That this is a new regime. This is new people are in charge. And so that does even if a guy maybe is past that window, they wanna just have him in house
1: for a week and just Yeah kind of so, I think Brady and Trey. I, sorry, I think Jacob Perot is going to get some minutes with the Ducks this year, though. I think they both probably get call ups here and
0: there. Yeah. it's just like that. The weird thing about this this roster is that there's just guys who
1: are in their way, and they're just going to have to beat them out. Yeah. Uh, the painful. I asked, where do you project guys like Kuntwad Jones and Lundstrom playing for this team, assuming some level of positive development?
0: Well, I said it earlier, but Max Kuntwad was legit terrible last year, mm-hmm. and I. I don't know, like there it feels like something's going to have to budge there eventually. Right. He's he's on the last year of his contract this upcoming season. And then after that, he's an arbitration eligible RFA. And we know kind of how Paver feels about that a little bit. So do you think he'll finish the season with the team? It's a better question.
1: Uh, I think so. I think they're going to try to build him up and rehab some value and then maybe trade him next offseason. Okay. And then yeah, so I think he's he's probably
0: still going to be kind of what he was last year. He'll I, probably I be a top
1: 6 or top 6 adjacent type player, I think.
0: Yeah, I think third line is is kind of where he's going to f- fill in and then Max Jones, I mean, Max Jones is we a good fourth
1: liner, I think.
0: We haven't seen Max Jones play in a year, like yeah. over a year now, and so it's kind of hard to say But yeah, he's a fourth liner, right? Like there, there's just nowhere else for him. And
1: and Lundstrom. So Lundstrom is, if there is some really positive development, I think could be a third line center in the NHL. I mean, that's what he was last year. No, but like, sorry, like a a real one. Ignoring deployment and all that type of stuff in terms of actual like way that he plays, role that he fills, I think that's where he could end up at. Last year, he just wasn't that. Like he was a fourth line center at best last year. And yeah, so I, I I I'm I'm a lot higher on Lundestrom than Antoine Jones at this point. I would say is that primarily you think due to age or where where is that coming from, or is it kind of the tracking data that we've seen where he's decent at transitioning the puck, it's just everything else after that doesn't really happen for him. Well, at least so the thing with Lundestrom is that at least he
0: does some things well. Like like you look even at the RAPM charts, like he had a good defensive impact last year. Yeah, he doesn't give you anything offensively, but at least there is something that you can kind of work with. And yes, he's also younger than those guys. Sorry, with Contois, I just
1: want to add there because I guarantee you, I know there are going to be people that will probably say this doesn't give you anything offensively. Means from an on-ice perspective, not necessarily looking yeah. at production.
0: He scored. He
1: scored 16 goals last year, and and, and that's all well I, and good. I, I could just. I could see the tweet coming your way of doesn't give you anything offensively. Oh, why do you hate Lundestrom?
0: Why do you hate Swedes? No, but like Lundestrom last year, like he was good. People gave me crap for my comments on the the duck calls post game show. I mean, you did. You
1: uh, did sugarcoat your comments. Did
0: I sugar? The thing with Lundestrom is that he legitimately does not add any value in the offensive zone, but he is good at at getting into that zone with control, whether it's on his stick or passing into the zone, and he's good. He's good at working down low in the defensive zone. He's good at getting. You know, he, he's active in the defensive zone. He's good at getting out of the defensive zone. There's a lot of things he has to work on there still, but at least there's like a foundation. That's just my whole thing. With Coltois, he had the one season where he scored a bunch of goals, but there's just no feeling of progression in his game. And then with Max Jones, you just you just know he's going to be a fourth liner. Mm-hmm. We just haven't seen him play in, in a while, so it's hard for me to go any any more than that. And maybe this is like me being too low on Contois and maybe I should uh, take this all back, but I'm I'm singing Lundestrom's praises. I hope that this is noted. I hope that people are, are writing this down because this doesn't, I just threw a pen somehow. This doesn't happen very often. Yep.
1: Uh, let's end with this one from Fatrault. Question, when does Dostal get a call up? Uh, When Gibson gets traded. Oh, wow. You, you went in a different... I was going to say when I, either Gibson or Stolarz gets hurt.
0: Well, yeah. Or when when inevitably there's going to be another COVID wave. Yep. Um, Yeah, no. I mean, it, Gibson's... I don't know if he's going to get traded this year, but at this he'll, point, he'll be At up.
1: this point, I flip-flopped. I was at 75%. He's getting moved. Now I'm at 25%. I do wonder what they're going to do
0: with Stolars because he's a UFA after this season. You know, do he they may, resign? He him? may be
1: a flip candidate if he, yeah. he doesn't re sign.
0: Like if they're if they're even if they're not out of the playoffs, if they just know that they're not gonna be able to re sign him, like it feels like a guy that could get some interest. I mean, it would suck for the ducks to trade their best goaltender of the last two years, but when you've got John Gibson still owed, you know, millions of dollars, I guess you've gotta do what you gotta do.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep
0: anything else i don't know do we have other questions oh okay well you could have said that Um, i said
1: that this is the one we're ending on
0: oh did you i didn't hear that (laughs) yeah Um, thanks thanks well i do want to point out that jake and i are in full off season mode went to play some golf the other day yeah i will give you some props
1: you actually made contact
0: yeah hit the ball that was my only goal i hadn't swung a golf club in in actual years maybe even a decade and uh, yeah, hit the ball. That was the only goal, and managed to hit the ball. Yeah, it was a fun day. I, I spanked, can see why. I, I spanked my driver I, a couple times, real good. Yeah, you had some good shots. Thank you. I'll give you that credit. Um, I can see why golf is so fun or addicting because it's like when you hit that nice shot, it's like, oh man, I want to do that again and again and again
1: um golfing and surfing also- are very much alike for that exact same uh reason yeah they are absolutely infuriating to do at certain moments and can piss you off beyond all belief all it takes is one fun one wave or one good golf shot and you're like yeah. damn i want it. i want you're i s- want that again
0: you're sucked back in yeah do you want to tell everyone about your your uh
1: your great uh surfing outing uh, it, your, your, your mishap? It's been very big, and I went surfing last Friday, and I'm... Sti- you mean the waves have been very big. Yeah, and I've, uh, I've that, been still trying to figure out the surf spots down here and surf the San Clemente Pier and uh-huh. did not necessarily know how that wave was when I did that, and it was a lot steeper than I was expecting and got caught on a walled-off wave and jumped off over the falls, and it was think four to six on friday it was one of the set waves and four to six feet yeah and decided to cannonball instead of going feet first because i forgot what it was like to be in waves like that and it's hurt to walk the last couple days after that let's go with that yeah you got you got you got spanked you got spanked by the water i did it hurts it It still hurts to sit right now (laughs) as we speak (laughs) and i might go to i looked at the way the surf report at T Street in San Clemente tomorrow, it's going to be 8 to 10 feet. Oh, my God. I'm kind of yeah, debating about going. Before we
0: started recording, I was out looking at the waves in Newport, and they looked dangerous. They looked monstrous. Well, Newport's, and, Newport
1: can be sketchy because of how shallow it is on the bottom side of that. So if you eat shit, yeah, you're going right to the bottom there, and it can hurt. And I'm wondering if that's yeah. also what happened for me. I may have hit ocean floor. Who knows? That may have also not helped. Yeah, just just so everyone, just to peel back the curtain even further,
0: one of the first things Jake said when we got oh, to the, the golf course or the driving range, he just said, my ass hurts. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> Accurate.
0: That's really funny to me. That's really funny. You know, laughing at your expense is one of
1: my favorite pastimes. Um, As I'm here being your hype man saying you did a good job. <laughs> No, I, uh, I, wait, I, I give you I credit. you just full, asking which one was credit. more epic, Jake's Surfing Ventures versus Felix's Stingrays experience. Definitely yeah, your Stingray. I was going to say,
0: I was gonna say like, at what po- is this your version of my Stingray? No. I feel
1: like no. yours wasn't traumatizing enough. No. Because I'm still scared to the I go stayed swim. out there and tried to catch more waves to make sure that I didn't screw myself up in the brain. <laughs> yeah. I uh, And now I might be I, going uh, back out, although when I saw 8 to 10, I was like, maybe I'll go to a different spot. Eight yeah, to ten feet. Is any... Eight to ten feet's huge.
0: Yeah, that sounds like dangerous. Well, there was nothing epic about my uh, my stingray experience. No, it was but just pain.
1: I will say that while I was sitting there in pain, I did talk to a stingray, and uh, he said he was coming for you. <laughs> but oh,
0: I want to give a shout out to whoever commented on, on the our last on YouTube, YouTube. Video, and someone like changed their account name to a stingray. <laughs> no, and the comment it, was it was not a stingray. Oh, it was a, a Stingray looking for revenge. Is that what it was? Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm pulling it up right now. I think it so. It was, let's see, it was Stingray coming for seconds. Oh, that's even better. Yeah. Why would the and Stingray it, the be con- looking for revenge? You didn't hurt it. It hurt you. That's true. St- stingray coming for seconds. Target acquired. So yeah, thank you. Just, uh, I'm, I'm glad my, my trauma is a, is a laughing matter to you. Uh, that was really good. No complaints. Uh, yeah, anything else? Home run derby was tonight. I don't know. Nope. Nothing else for me. Oh, I had a food. I had a food thing I wanted to bring up. Oh, 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 oh. Um. Shoot, what did I try the other day? That was just so terrible. You, oh, you
1: tried new food?
0: Yes, yes. This is this is the story of my life lately. Um, I think it was a peanut—not a peanut colada. What's the one with rum in it? Pina Colada? What? Okay. Terrible. Not good. Medi- tasted like medicine. Well, do me. you not like coconut? No. That's why. And I don't like rum. But wasn't good. Do you not like a mojito? That's a good mojito is very good. Mojitos are, are a little better. Rum. From what I can recall. I, I just, I don't know. There was something about that one. Maybe it was just the, the environment I was in. I don't know. Anyway, should probably get out of here. Yeah, I think it's about that time. I can I can tell from your blurry facial
1: expression that you're giving me the look to, uh, to get out oh, of here. Oh, it's more the looks coming because uh Salem's litter box is in here and if you heard that it was her going uh pooping. It does not smell very good in here. <laughs> oh, I want to say that I I checked out Jake's
0: house a couple weeks ago. A week ago. It was nice. Thank you. Nice nice residence. Thank you. Well well uh well executed. Thank you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> On that note, uh, we're going to get out of here. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, this was a fun one. If you want to help us keep this thing going throughout the off season, we've got plenty more fun stuff coming for you, but there's a few easy ways for you to help support us and keep this thing alive. Uh, the number one way, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash crash the pond. Uh, for $1 pledge a month, you can get access to our patrons only discord server, which is so much fun. You get access to a community, really a thriving community, of diehard ducks fans. Everyone's there to have a good time and to talk about the team among other things, food, especially $5 a month. You get that and you get access to the discord server. You get access to, uh, sorry, two bonus episodes a month, uh, where we talk about, you know, whether it's going more in depth on specific topics about the ducks, or we talk about other teams, you know, the league, we do trade deadline breakdowns, free agency stuff. Actually, maybe that'll, that'll be our next episode. Um, a lot of fun stuff on there, and on the and we're a little more unfiltered on the, the bonus episodes. You can also pledge fifteen dollars a month if you really want to. Uh, you can also check us out on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review. Uh, if you leave us a review there, we'll read it on the show. We haven't gotten one in a little while, and I'm starting to starting to get thirsty for one. So if you if you if you're someone who's been listening for a while and you've been haven't left a review yet, please do. We want to hear from you guys. We want to hear. Some feedback because it helps us get better, and it's just fun. We get a lot of really funny reviews. You can also check us out on Spotify, leave us a rating there. Like Jake said earlier, we're on YouTube, youtubecom pond, Subscribe to us there and turn on the notifications so you know when our videos are going up. Also check out our website, crashthepond.com, and also check out our shop, slash shop We've got coffee mugs there, T-shirts. I want to point out jake that today a new a new podcast in the scene the late arrivals pod as jake shows on the screen the awesome crash the pond sticker on his uh what is that a hydro flask yeah 64 okay yeah i was gonna say that's a big boy um uh that's a big hog um i was (laughs) i was gonna say that the new podcast late arrivals sent out a tweet today asking people which which podcast is the best logo? And someone shouted us out saying that we have a great logo.
1: Yeah, uh, I don't know if I don't know if you saw that or uh, not. Yep, but... the hockey sticks going into palm trees—all things re- that we I... uh, we made sure to to put together when we were putting yeah. together this logo.
0: Yeah, I love our logo with the arch of the Honda Center, and uh, we've got it in eggplant and jade, and in black and orange. So, yeah, whether it's hoodies, t-shirts,
1: stickers coffee mugs. We've got it all covered for you dot crashthepond.com. Do you com know what the like shop? the like front of Honda Center on this, the way that it's like circled reminds me of a little bit. What? The Mighty Ducks cartoon. I think that's mm. one of the reasons especially why I love the eggplant and jade logo that we have. Yeah,
0: I like that I like the eggplant and jade one quite a bit, but I like the orange one too. It's a different vibe. Both of them are are just different vibes. Like the eggplant and jade is maybe a little more like beachy and then the orange and black is I don't know it's got that kind of like chill sunset vibe to it so go check that out uh, that's on our website follow us on twitter at crash the pond we're also on facebook jake is on twitter at reindeergames 91 and i'm on twitter at felix underscore Sicard. that is going to do it for us tonight guys thank you so much for listening can't believe the show's already over and we'll talk to you next week keep your keep your hogs in check bye